Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of EGOs. I have a really special guest today. Her name is Dr. Catherine Amos. She's originally from the UK, but now she's living in Australia in a town called Adelaide. She's the head of school of the Australian School of Petroleum and Energy Resources. How are you doing today, Catherine? Hey, Michelle, I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate the time that um, you take. So I already alluded to it, but um, I had mentioned that you are originally from the UK. So I'm just wondering, where did you grow up in the UK and um, what influenced you most while you were growing up? Well, I'm from the best part of the UK, <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously Yorkshire. So I probably don't sound like it so much anymore, but I grew up in Yorkshire, which is up in the north of England. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I lived there with my family until I turned 18 and, and moved to university. Um, so what influenced me most? I think that was the question, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to say it's the, it's the usual things, my parents and teachers. So I, I had an awesome childhood. You know, I grew up in a, in a lovely family um, mm -hmm. and I am absolutely the product of my parents. So I, my research expertise is in um, sedimentology, geomorphology, interpreting landform processes and ancient depositional mm -hmm. environments. My mum was a geography teacher and my dad was a math teacher. Oh, and they both so cool. loved being out in nature, hiking, bird watching, learning about, you know, about all sorts of, of, of things. So, um, you know, mum and dad have got great knowledge about the local geology and all sorts of mm -hmm. things like that. So I grew up absorbing their passions I guess, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and grew up being, you know, loving being outside in nature, respecting nature, wanting to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and good teachers. So I had a really awesome chemistry teacher when I was at school. Um, so I went to university wanting to study um, environmental chemistry. That was, that was what I decided to do when I went to uni. Um, I knew I wanted to do environmental science. And because and I enjoyed chemistry so much at school, I, I picked that. I, it didn't take me very long at uni to realize that university chemistry was not for me. Um, <laughs> I, I really didn't love that as much as some of the other things I was doing in first year at uni. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I don't think I had a particular, um, a particular goal. Once, once I got to uni, I was really lucky. I was studying environmental science at the University of East Anglia in Norwich. Okay. It was an amazing um, department with a really broad range of different disciplines. So I studied things from, from ecology to politics and management to seismology, um, a whole range of different things. Um, the thing that really got me on the course that led to me doing what I do now is that there was a field trip to the south of France that I thought sounded like a lot of fun mm -hmm. but you had to be majoring in earth sciences to be allowed to go on the field trip and I, I needed it one more course in my second year to be able to qualify as, as an earth science uh, environmental earth science major so that was why I, uh, I did a sedimentology course 
was purely so that I could get in on the field trip to the south of France. Um, so I went and, and met the lecturer. I hadn't done the prerequisite in first year, so I didn't know anything um, that, that was relevant, but I went and had a conversation with her. She said, yep, yeah, no problem, you can do that course. Um, and she ended up being my, my honours project supervisor, and then I did a PhD with her. So oh, I went from, from knowing nothing and I can remember being on that field trip and the first outcrop there was kind of looking at like large scale cross stratification and I was just like, what's that? I don't know what that mm -hmm. is. I was probably such a an annoying student. <laughs> you know, they scare people off to go and measure grain size and I'd never done it before. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was, but it was great. It was great fun. I loved it. I loved being out and doing field trips and, mm -hmm. um, and I really loved, sedimentology in particular so yeah great teachers at, at different stages that's amazing so you how far away was uh your university from where you grew up oh, about a, a four or a five hour drive okay all right I'm not super familiar with the UK so that's why I was wondering so it was you you pretty much did leave home right after your high school grade 12 and you were yes. off then okay yeah and that I was cool. I was ready to leave and I was looking forward to the next step mm -hmm. um that is I guess that's that's fairly common in the UK not everybody moves away from home not everyone can yeah um uh -huh. but I was able to my parents supported me um mm -hmm. well and when I went to uni there was there were still government grants to help people go to university yeah. so I didn't have to pay fees I actually got given some money to be able to go to university okay. um, mm -hmm. so it's a completely different time <laughs> to the yeah. circumstances now um, oh. but yeah I, I, I was keen to move away from home so I, I, I didn't look at, at the universities near home because I wanted mm -hmm. to you know fledge my week fly go and go and do something new where else yeah, that sounds great. So then at what point did you leave the UK? Did you go straight to Australia after your PhD or did you go somewhere else in between? Yeah, I did. I had a, a postdoc in between. So I so I did my undergrad degree. So that was a three year Bachelor of Science with honours um, okay. degree. So mm -hmm. the honours research project was the kind of big final year project. Um, and so that really all did stem from that second year course in sedimentology that I did. I can remember mm -hmm. when I did that course, something about turbidity currents really uh, grabbed my fancy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, they're, they're so beautiful and so interesting. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, for my honours project in my undergrad degree, I, um, I did some lab experiments. So Jan Alexander was my supervisor mm -hmm. and um, she had a, a sedimentology lab in the department with a couple of flume tanks and so mm. I I got to play around for a summer vacation projects mm. in generating turbidity currents and kind of reading all the literature and getting my head around it I absolutely loved it um, and there was a conference that year that would have been 19 whoa when did I probably 1999 maybe or 98 something like that there was a mm -hmm. conference at the University of Leeds on uh, particulate gravity currents mm -hmm. um, and there's a special publication that came out as a result of that conference that has some great papers in um, and that was near where my parents lived so I I went to that conference 
just to to listen to mm -hmm. to all the presentations and um and i i had didn't realize what geologists wear for conferences so i put on my smartest clothes <laughs> and i felt completely like a nobody you know i was a i wasn't yeah. even a final year undergraduate student with all these big names all these people whose papers i'd been reading mm -hmm. and um and so the first day I was wearing kind of like a business skirt and suit and you know smart shoes stood out like a sore thumb <laughs> because everyone else was in tie-dyed t-shirts and ripped jeans. <laughs> I was gonna but say hobo just, clothes. <laughs> yeah it was um so I, I I changed tune for the the next couple of days but I I went from very quickly I guess I went from feeling just completely intimidated to, mm -hmm. to sitting there thinking I can do this that's not so hard like this is you know maybe this is something I could do and I think that was a real turning point for me in starting to think maybe a PhD was something that mm -hmm. I could do so my Jan who was my supervisor I think you know she kept telling me I should consider doing a PhD and I kept telling her there was no way I was smart enough and I couldn't oh, wow. there was no way I could do that um but I I started to I guess I loved doing my project so much and yeah, going to that conference and I, I got to visualize myself as a, as a researcher. Um, so yeah, so I applied to do a PhD. I applied to a few different places, but I, um, when I had the choice of two projects, which then it was a really easy decision in the end that one of them was to do the, an experimental turbidity currents project with Jan. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one was completely different. And I think sometimes when you're confronted by choice, you, you, you realize what the answer is, the thing that you really want to do. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I, I stayed on in Norwich and did, and did my PhD with Jan, mm -hmm. generating lots of experimental turbidity currents um, mm -hmm. and had a great time. But I also got to um, do some fieldwork in Australia. So that was the first time I went to Australia was to do fieldwork for my PhD on something oh, cool. that I managed to tenuously link to my thesis uh, project. But Jan um, had a big project working with Chris Fielding, who was in Brisbane at the time, on the Burdekin River in the north, mm -hmm. north, north Queensland, That's right. northern east coast of mm -hmm. Australia. It's a really big river system. It's got highly variable discharge, so lots of kind of cyclonic and monsoon-induced rainfall in the wet season, and then very little rainfall through the dry season. Mm -hmm. And um, so I got to go and, and poke around in that river and have a think about um, sediment transport during the flow events on those rivers. I was fortunate enough to be there when a decent flow event came through and was able to, um, to monitor the sediment transport during that event. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that, was, that blew my mind because I guess, you know, growing up in the UK, being very familiar with British rivers, I think mm -hmm. I've always loved rivers I did you know my high school geography project floating oranges down a river to measure velocity in different places um, yeah. and studied fluvial geomorphology at uni and um, and then found myself studying a very different river for my PhD mm -hmm. or part of my PhD and you know this was a huge river system the catchment area of the Burdekin is similar to the area of England and um, and there were like you know a handful of publications you know, it, there was so little data uh, in comparison to, to rivers, you know, that I studied in my undergrad mm -hmm. courses 
where there were tens and tens of publications and, you know, high resolution velocity measurements over a channel that might be 50 meters wide. This was a channel that was a kilometer wide and we managed to get five different observation points across the width. You know, so it was just a completely different challenge. And I think um, I enjoyed that challenge. I enjoyed yeah. the idea of going to, to learn something about a system that we knew so little about. Um, sure. So, yeah, after my PhD, I, I got a short-term postdoc position at the University of Leeds, and that was working with Jeff mm -hmm. Peacle, um, looking at, it was, again, that was experimental gravity flows, and that was looking at flow in, in sinuous submarine channels. And I had a really great time. That was working, you know, with a big team. I'd been working pretty much on my own in the lab for my PhD. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was really fun to go and be in a big lab with with lots of people and all sorts of fancy equipment. Um, mm -hmm. But we were collaborating with mathematicians quite a bit as well. And I very quickly realized that um, I felt I felt stupid quite a bit. Maths is not a strong. <laughs> I love maths. But it, I guess it made me realize that that is not a strength of mine. And I didn't yeah. like, you know, I, I kind of felt like that wasn't wasn't for me. I didn't want to spend my whole career feeling like I was you know, thrown in the deep end. Yeah. Whereas um, having done that field work, I really felt like that was more of my comfort zone. Yeah, um, same. I can totally yeah. relate with that. <laughs> yeah, so that, I guess that was the first conscious kind of career decision I made rather than following my, my nose. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I purposefully was looking then for positions that were more field-based and, and fluvial mm -hmm. than, than the lab-based stuff. Um, and I was really fortunate I applied for and got a postdoc in Australia. So I had a year in Leeds and then I got a postdoc position in Australia looking at a, a river system just, um, just south of the Burdekin. So again, highly variable discharge, understudied, really interesting. Yeah. Um, so I lived in Canberra for a couple of years. I promised my family I was only moving to Australia for a couple of years. Because um, <laughs> honestly, Australia was never somewhere that was on my top hit list of places mm -hmm. that I thought would be exciting to go. It kind of happened by accident. Um, but I, I, I had loved doing field work um, when I was doing my PhD over here. And um, yeah, so that, that, that two or three year postdoc then turned into, well, what is it now, 2021? Mm -hmm. I moved in February of 2005. Oh, so wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and what is your favorite thing right now about living in Australia? Oh, oh honestly, right now, it would have to be COVID related. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I feel so incredibly fortunate to live somewhere that where we're pretty much able to live, not exactly how we were living before, but, um, yeah. but close to it, probably out of everywhere in the world. There's only another couple of countries that are, that are as COVID free. Australia and that's um that's not something we take for granted yeah it's, um you know talking to to you and to my family in the UK and people in other places it's just um you know it's amazing we're able to for the most part mm -hmm. go and work in the office and do our shopping and and go and socialize without there being very much risk at all yeah yeah so, yeah outside of COVID I think um I think the thing, I mean, the thing that brought me to Australia is one of the things that's kept me here, which is an academic thing, which is 
is getting to study big systems that have not been hugely studied previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and often I, I'll often do that and then spend the first bit of time when I'm in the field kicking myself, thinking, why did I think this was a good idea? You know, you did the <laughs> reading beforehand. You think you know what you're, you know, you know the yeah. questions you want to go and answer. <laughs> You get there and you spend two weeks driving around the field site thinking, this is not what I was expecting to find. Yeah. How the heck am I going to try and understand what's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> I, I can completely relate to that. It's like, you don't, it's so, I, I just think Australia as a whole is so understudied, at least the bits that I've seen it from a geologic perspective. And yeah, you, you don't really know what you sign up for until you get in the field and start doing it. You're like, oh my gosh, this is just way more than what I ever would have dreamed of. But I guess that's that's also a good thing, right? Because, I mean, I think the U.S. is similar to the U.K. where there's certain areas that are so studied and, you know, one person is studying like a specific member or like a fossil within that member or, you know, whatever it may be. And there's like 10 million papers in that area. Um, and then you go there and it's like, okay, here's a few from, you know, the sixties, maybe some from the eighties and that's about it. <laughs> here's a whole basin to, to go. Yeah. And yeah. 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 So I think, you know, it, it has its challenges, but it has its, its rewards and its opportunities. And it's, it, yep. it's pretty amazing to be able to, to work in, in that context. So after, yeah. um, after the postdoc position I had in Canberra, um, there was a kind of, I guess, fluvial geomorphology modern river systems project um I then I then got another postdoc and that was in Adelaide that's what brought me to Adelaide Mm -hmm. um and I was working with an industry-funded consortium um that were looking at at dryland fluvial lacustrine systems and Mm -hmm. focusing specifically on the kind of ephemeral deltas is what I'm calling them but the, the terminations of river systems around, um, around Playa Lakes. And this was looking at Catacamba Lake Air. And um, I was just such a privilege to be able to go and do field work there. It, you know, mm. really quite a remote place, a beautiful place. Um, it was just amazing. And, and that was really also a project that brought together all the different, um, I guess the different bits of my discipline that I love or the discipline I'm in. Um, so I was able to do modern analog field work. I was able to then apply that to the subsurface. So look at core, look at, at various different subsurface locations and, and apply that modern analog study to interpreting ancient systems. And then that was all applied you know, to industry problems to, to try and come up with solutions for companies. And I really enjoyed that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, I guess that's a big reason that I've, I've stayed in that area. Um, and stayed in Adelaide working with with those companies and, and the department in Adelaide. Yeah. So, what are you doing now for your job? Now that you're head of school, how has your research or um, what you do day to day, your role, how has that transformed? <laughs> I'm laughing silently. Yeah, I, I don't get to do so much research at the moment. No. Um, which I think would always be the case. You know, anyone when you yeah. take on a head of school role, there's a lot of kind of administration and leadership. That, that takes mm-hmm. up time um, but there is an expectation to be able to continue doing research um, but but COVID happened yeah so so that you know things have been different for everybody <laughs> this, mm-hmm. this past year or so and um, I've had very little brain space for, for research 
Um, mm-hmm. So there's been a bit of a pause there, but I've got a couple of amazing PhD students who I've neglected a lot more than I should have done. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a team of people who I'm working with occasionally that are keeping me excited and mm-hmm. making me remember <laughs> the science that I love. Um, but it's been a real, it's been a real opportunity to, you know, to help lead a team of people through such a challenging mm-hmm. year to, to yeah. you know, to be able to do things, to, to set things up, to, to support students in the best way we possibly could, you know, to be involved mm-hmm. in, in leadership strategy sessions and, and really try and navigate our way through this as best possible. I, I've, I've enjoyed having that opportunity. I think I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've preferred to be in that position than, I guess, being more of a spectator on the sidelines. It's, yeah. um, it's been a real opportunity to be involved in that. So yeah, it is what it is. It's been, it's been a big mm-hmm. year for, everyone um yeah I was gonna say yeah I think it's like it's really amazing to me of what you you've done so you took on this role right before COVID hit and or right when COVID was hitting and just the challenges that you've overcome I think are incredible and I think that you know you're gonna for sure come out on the other side of this on top and everyone's gonna turn and look like wow you you carried us through COVID. I think anyone in a leadership position right now, I can't even imagine like the pressure that they must feel to like, make sure that, you know, to get everyone through it and whatnot. But I, I'm just so, I'm so glad. Is there something that you've worked on lately? That's like really inspired you, whether it's like new policies within Australia or like a new sort of energy focus or anything like that, that you're working on? Yeah, so many things. And I think that's, as you mentioned before, but you know, any leadership role, it's really about the team of people, isn't it, that you're with? And I'm, you know, I'm I'm part of a school, and I guess for American listeners by school, I mean department rather than entire institution. Yeah, department chair. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so the department that I am in is, you know, we're it's a great team of people. We're a diverse team of people. Uh, we're diverse in terms of expertise. So we have engineers, geoscientists, um, and a psychologist who does business decision making. Um, you know, we're diverse in terms of the places we come from. So I think, I think we've, we've got people from six continents in our, in our school. Mm -hmm. Um, That's special. That's really cool. It really is people who've worked in industry, people who've had a more, you know, like me, who've had a more kind of a traditional academic career path. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's a, it's a real, um, it's a great group of people to be working with. And, you know, everybody's pulling together, everybody's working, you know, to support students primarily, that's what this year has really driven to the forefront is, you know, the, the crisis that COVID kind of brought mm-hmm. with it was, was people pulling together. And so I've not been doing any of this on my own. It's been, it's mm-hmm. been a team effort. Um, but I think the thing that's really, I guess it amazes me looking back on it um, and, and continuing to work on it is that even with all of that extra you know, stress and effort and work and all the challenges of having to pivot to teaching online and, and all of those things that, um, that, that we're generating all these new ideas, you know, that hasn't stopped. So we're, we're putting proposals together for shaping the future. Uh, and that's really important, not, not just because of COVID, which is having huge impacts um, everywhere. In Australia, I think the circumstances are probably every country's got its own nuances every 
you know, the way that higher education is set up is a bit different in each country. Um, right now in Australia, the big challenge is, is the closed international borders, which is what has kept us safe um, mm -hmm. and has been a great thing. Um, but it's meant that our numbers of international students have dropped. And, and that has big financial ramifications for mm -hmm. institutions. So universities are really hurting at the moment because of that and, and that will continue. So I think, you know, there's challenges around that, but, but from a discipline focus. So, I mean, the School of Petroleum and Energy Resources, you know, we really focus on oil and gas and on subsurface energy resources. I've, I've got a team of colleagues who've worked on CCS for years now. I've got a group of colleagues who are looking to pivot towards applying our knowledge base and expertise to hydrogen and kind of subsurface storage of hydrogen in particular. Um, and I think, you know, so we've been working on some really great proposals for, for, for pivoting and, and addressing those future challenges with the expertise that we've mm -hmm. got. Um, so, you know, I'm really excited about, about the future opportunities. I talk to, to potential high school students and I think this is something that's common in a lot of different countries that, um, you know, student enrollments in, in geology, in mm -hmm. petroleum and mining engineering have dropped um, a lot over, over the last few years. And a, a big part of that was related to jobs. So I think enrollments in these programs typically follow oil price and, and the yeah. jobs that are available in those Absolutely. sectors. So yeah. I guess since about 2015, we've seen student yeah. numbers drop. Um, but then when you kind of factor, you know, the energy transition on top of that, then, mm -hmm. you know, high school students are understandably asking what future is there in, in subsurface energy resources? You know, what's the point in doing a degree um, with that specialty? Um, and so I think, you know, there's all sorts of conversations that need to be had around the, mm -hmm. the, the fundamental role that, that the subsurface has in, in a sustainable future and in a transition to a more sustainable future that, you know, we're gonna need really smart, highly trained people who understand the subsurface for decades to come. Um, and I think that's a, that's a challenge at the moment for university departments in our sector to, to, to grapple with. You know, we, there's a danger if we have people coming out who aren't well enough trained that we're not going to have the best minds coming up with, you know, great novel innovative solutions to do everything that we do more efficiently and more sustainably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, there's some projects this year I'm really excited about. And that's mm -hmm. certainly one of them looking at how we, how we transition and change our curriculum to be more attractive to, mm -hmm. to future students, um, whilst being, you know, relevant to the future of, of the sector. Yeah, no, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But I, I know you, and I know you're going to do it, and it'll be amazing. <laughs> gonna give yeah. him my best shot <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so amazing thank you so much for sharing more about what you do from you know a high level perspective in your role I think there will be quite a few people out there really fascinated with your position and mm -hmm. um thank you so much for sharing that I guess no, I have okay. one last question for you and um that would be how do you maintain your happiness and you know what, what are the is there any like hobbies you have, or is there something you do practice, exercise, anything that helps you sort of stay focused and stay positive and maintain your happiness? 
Yeah, that's like the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, yeah, especially these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I think I think that's one of those things that's always varied for me. Um, and probably most people, different things work at, at different times. Um, I'm going to answer it in two different ways. So I think one, one part of that is more of a long-term way of thinking about career and life. So I think I have always, ever since I was an undergrad, um, you know, I went to a, I went to a great department. I studied, you know, environmental science at one of the leading environmental science schools. I was taught by people who were at the top of their field mm-hmm. and we all knew it. And, you know, we were so proud to be studying there. Um, but I also saw those academics working all hours. Yeah. Um, and before I'd finished my PhD, I knew that that wasn't the life I wanted. Yep. Um, you know, and I also was very aware by the time I finished my PhD, which I did straight from undergrad. So I was in my mm. early 20s. Um, but, you know, the gender imbalance was really mm-hmm. obvious to me. I had yeah. some amazing female role models. Um, but they'd, you know, they'd had to make choices that were ones I hoped I didn't have to make. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But I have always consciously, I guess I've had that in mind through through my career that, um, you know, that I've wanted to be able to have some balance. I've made an effort to, you know, when I've moved to a new place, I've made an effort to not only socialize with people at the university, to have yeah. a diverse group of friends, to bring me a different perspective, you know, who I knew would not normalize working crazy hours all the time, which is what you do when you just hang out with a bunch of postdocs or academics. It's true. Um, mm-hmm. So, and some of those were really conscious decisions and they were really challenging ones to make mm-hmm. at the time, you know, that, and it's not a decision you can make once, you have to keep reaffirming it. Um, because when you love what you do and when you're in a, you know, a higher education academia, I'm sure industry is just the same. You know, you're in a profession where there are really exciting challenges and you, you're a perfectionist and you want to do a really great job. It's really tempting to just work all the time and work crazy hours and you kind of enjoy doing it. I certainly... Yeah. I'm not going to stop pulling all-nighters and sometimes that's my most fun time to be coming up with ideas and 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 making progress on work Mm -hmm. but it's making sure that that's just sometimes and not all the time yeah so I have you know I've made choices around kind of I guess personal life as well as career and I've been fortunate enough to be able to do that not everybody you know is able to do that I took a gamble at one point um when my postdoc in Adelaide was finishing I knew there'd be a lectureship coming up in the same department, but it hadn't been advertised yet. And I definitely, you know, that I wouldn't have been a shoe in for it. I knew they'd be having an open international recruitment. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a there was a position at another university in Australia that I'd applied for and I was selected for interview. And that was around the time that I was dating my partner. You know, I had high hopes for that. Um, I think if I'd got the job in the other place, he'd have moved with me, but I didn't want to put that pressure on an early relationship. Yeah. Um, so I I pulled out of that selection process in the other place. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Knowing that I might not get the job that was going to come up here, mm-hmm. but I, I took that, that risk and it paid off, fortunately. Um, yeah. So I think I think it is that balance of, of knowing prioritizing different things at different times Mm -hmm. um but on a I guess on a 
day-to-day basis, I am quite good at switching off. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at shutting down my computer and then just ignoring emails over a vacation or over a weekend. Um, and that's something I practiced when I had my daughter. So I've got a daughter who's nearly six. Yep. And I, I took a year of maternity leave. So Australia is great for, um, for being able to take paid maternity leave. I, I, I had a six month full pay, so, which I took over a year at half pay. Um, and I negotiated a return to work that was kind of mm-hmm. gradual because I, I wanted, I had six PhD students at that time. Wow. I you know absolutely needed to and wanted to keep supervising I had some who were finishing I had some who were in the early stages um so I think I probably I took probably three months completely off work and then I kind of returned maybe one day a week just to supervise my HDR students and then Mm. gradually phased up over quite a few years so it's only been maybe a year or so that I've been back at work full time Mm um so that's been, yeah, that's been great. It's been nice to prioritize my little one and have time with her. And the th- when I went on maternity leave, I set an auto reply on my email that said, I'm going to be deleting all my emails. They're not going to be read. Yeah. <laughs> I knew yeah. the people who needed to get hold of me would be able to do so yep. in another way. Um, mm-hmm. And that was really good practice to set boundaries. <laughs> and I've continued that. So, you know, working part-time, I worked three days a week for quite a while. Then I worked four days a week. Um, and I really protected the time I wasn't working yeah. so that when I was, cause the reason I was working part-time was so I could have quality time with my little one, which meant not turning up for meetings outside of my work mm-hmm. hours and things. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I, I'm flexible when I need to be, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pretty strict around that. And I'm really good at switching off. And I just had a three week break and I didn't check my emails at all. Oh, that's was, so good. You did way better than me. <laughs> 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 I, I actually I really needed to I think everybody yeah I, really, I think I should have did yeah. longer than what I ended up I should have now looking back it's like yeah you got to yeah. like it's I think so I really important. recognized in myself that exhaustion from last year I really was burnt yeah. out by the end of last year it was I, you know I was not getting enough sleep I was consistently mm-hmm. getting a crazy little amount of sleep and that really accumulated and I'm still yeah. I'm still dealing with that now I need to it takes time so strict limits around you know turning off devices and and getting sleep yeah I hear you I know I'm like at 8 30 p.m bed person Uh, no matter what it's like that's sort of I I feel like instead of taking breaks I I just make sure I go to bed really early that's amazing (laughs) that's that's my goal <laughs> yeah, but then yeah. sometimes I get like you get all this energy inside of you. You're like, God, I just need to go do stuff, and you're a little overbearing, or I can be overbearing then. But and it <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's you know, with a small person, you know, get her to bed, mm-hmm. and it might be it might be half eight or nine, and then that's kind of the, yeah. the time that you've got to you know do that bit of work that you want yeah. to polish off, or do it's some different. stuff around the house, or just yeah. have some downtime and. You know, and then you end up scrolling on your devices for too long if, if you're not strict around turning it off. Yeah, so, It'll, you'll just yeah. like, I'll start playing Scrabble and all of a sudden half an hour goes by and that's yeah. it. <laughs> it's really, yeah, so that, something I've done just this year, this last month, is I've set an alarm in the evening mm-hmm. on my phone to tell me to turn my, to stop looking at my phone and turn it off um, to help encourage better evening mm 
kind of reduced screen time um because i do think sleep is what a lot of things boil down to Mm -hmm. um getting enough sleep yeah which is not always straightforward but um nope Cool. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. I'm so happy you could be here with us today. That's right. It's been fun. <laughs> I hope that, um, I hope, I know, I hope it's interesting or useful for some people. We've all got, yeah. I guess the, the thing that's always worth bearing in mind, we all have such different, you know, life paths and career development mm-hmm. trajectories. And it's, you, you never know the whole of what's going on with different people. I think it's really important to, you know, bear in mind opportunity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some people have so much more opportunity than others. I've been so fortunate to have so many amazing opportunities um, that were just down to kind of circumstance and being introduced to the right people. Um, yeah. But, and also just, you know, measures of success are different for different people. And, mm-hmm. and setting, you know, trying, you know, really being sure in your own mind what success means to you because it's not always the same for different people and and for completely valid reasons everybody's got their own you know aspirations and um and ways of going about doing things so it's I've been really enjoying listening to these podcasts and hearing different perspectives from different people Mm -hmm. yeah and I guess one thing I always tell myself is am I doing this for me or am I doing this to make someone else happy whether it be your your mom your grandma you know a mentor or something it's like you always have to make sure that you know you're doing what feels right for you at the end of the day because you have to live inside your own head and your own body so yeah that's one thing I think I've really tried to embrace the last few years in my life is just really trying to do the right thing and doing it for you your happiness so absolutely selfish (laughs) yeah yeah, with still being a, a, a good person. But and I think mm. something um someone told me recently that's really stuck with me is around um like you know, we're all juggling all these different balls in the air mm-hmm. all the time. And it's not about deciding, you know, how to keep juggling them all, but it's about prioritizing which ones will bounce if you drop them and which ones will smash if you drop them. Yes. And, and making sure that you keep juggling the ones that might smash if they get dropped. I really like That's that good. analogy. It's helped me, it's helped me quite a lot. And yeah. I think also just that bigger perspective, realizing you don't have to do everything all at the same time. Yep. You know, your your life and your career can have different phases. And I think particularly in academia, when got a teaching focus you've got a research focus you might have a leadership focus it's easy to look at someone's cv or track record and think they're nailing all of them all at the same time but in reality mm-hmm. you know the likelihood is that you might have a few years that's really teaching focused a few years that's really research mm-hmm. focused you know there's absolutely no way that most people can do all of those things at the same time and being absolutely. like making then making a conscious choice around what the focus should be and then being really it helps you be happy and around not feeling like you're not achieving in some of those other areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like if you're, you're happy with like who you are as a core of a person, it makes life so much easier. So there's all these different aspects that all of a sudden just become very easy. Like, of course there'll always be challenges like day to day, but as a whole, it makes everything else so much easier. And it takes a lot of confidence, doesn't it? I think that's... It does. Yeah, you really have to believe in yourself. Yeah. You Not listen yeah. to 
the negativity. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. I really enjoyed my time with you and I'll definitely be checking back in with you maybe this time next year for a follow-up and (laughs) see how how everything is going. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I will be sure to let you know. (laughs) Yes. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Take care. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.